Thank you for tuning in to episode eight of This Is Not Financial Advice, the podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about uh, our personal misadventures in the uh, tumultuous markets and then talk about some uh, larger scale uh, things happening in the the markets and overall economy. But uh, let's freaking go. Buddha. I'm good, man. Just getting ready for the weekend to creep up on us pretty soon here. Yeah, heck yeah. I'm ready for it too, my dude. Uh, I've been talking about my cash-covered put on Tesla that I got into a few weeks ago. I finally exited at about, bought my way back out of it at about 55% profit. So that was Ooh. good, man. Uh, but uh, just extended the duration to collect a little bit more juicy premium i think uh, the iv rank was somewhere around like 85 or something like that so uh Ooh. you know we'll sit back and uh hope i don't blow my whole uh, ira account up but <laughs> tesla is down 44 percent in the last six months wow what a stumble yeah, yeah. crazy um and obviously they're not alone man um, um i could tell you from personal experience but uh yeah, it's not good, man. Um, this quantitative tightening has ended a lot of the speculative, uh, you know, plays and bets we've seen. And, uh, you know, the the chickens have come home to roost, man. And uh, the, the world's getting real again rather than, uh, you know, these lofty, uh. these lofty idealations of uh, utopia, you know. The quantitative sack squeezing continues. What's what's with your uh, covered covered put plays? Are you just you just keep looking for the greatest premium delta you can find, as much IV as you can get, or what? Yeah, pretty much, man. I mean, you know, Tesla's just a you know say what you will about the overvaluation of the stock, even while it's sitting here at uh, six forty something, six fifty something, right? But uh, it's a great. You know, it's super liquid and it's super volatile. So, uh, in terms of uh, you know selling op, you know selling that juicy premium, man, it's 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 great for option sellers. Um, so I just sit back and freaking theta gang my way all the way, uh, you know, all the way to about fifty percent uh, profit is where I look to exit. I forgot when the theta gangs were uh, a big thing. Or I should say the um, the Greek gangs. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome, you know, for those who don't, uh, you know, write option contracts, uh, you know, basically I can write a, uh, you know, a put and, you know, it moved against me hard, man. I think I when I initially wrote that put that I just exited, Tesla was at like 750 or something like that. I mean, it moved yeah. damn, it moved damn near $100 against me, but I still made profit at the $400 strike because simply, you know, simply due to uh, the time duration and, and theta working in my favor rather than against me, you know, because I think most, yeah. most people out there are buying options, uh, you know, on the wall street bets world. But uh, you know, the other, uh, the flip side of the coin there isn't, uh, isn't half bad. I wasn't going to question you in front of uh, the entire world here, but I did go out to the one month, just the Google chart. And I was wondering, you know, if you felt a little pain for a bit, because in uh, in the last six months, there's been some serious downhill to TSLA, but 
in that month that you own the contract is a little up, little or a little up, little down, and uh, I'm glad it worked out for you. But Theta, yeah, Theta is your friend, brother. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I mean, yeah, there were some days where I was kind of like, you know, <laughs> sitting here biting my uh, biting my fingernails. How far out was the expiration? What kind of like options are you working with? Uh, you know, I forget. I typically look to sell at about the, or I typically look to enter the position at about forty-five DTE, and then uh, look to exit the position. You know, either exit or roll the position, uh, no less than about twenty-one uh, days till expiration. You know, um, then you know you you get anything inside of twenty-one days, and I feel like the. Uh, you know, it, it can move really hard against you. Um, you know, pushing those, pushing that DTE out longer kind of, uh, you know, statistically uh, works better and, and more in favor of the option seller than the buyer. Uh, Let's, we don't beat this up too often, but when you get within, like, when you start looking at values of something that you've sold, you're, you have not crossed the strike price yet, so you're out of the money and that option contract is within a week of expiration. Let's let's assume that you're so far out of the money. There's very little uh, very little value compared to what the initial contract was, right? You've gone from selling something for $2 and now it's worth 20 cents or what have you. Right. Do you, do you close out of that or are you a fan of just letting it die? Uh, I mean, typ- typically, I, you know, it depends on how I feel that day, to be honest with you, but uh, you know, typically, yeah, you got to take a look at the extrinsic or the the, uh, the extrinsic value left in that play, right? And if if uh, there's a lot, if IV is still high, you know, maybe I'll kind of let it ride. Uh, but typically, you know, if you're that close and uh, it's looking like you know you, it's looking like uh, you know it's it's not going to hit your strike or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, you could increase that uh, increase that velocity of money in return by. Uh, exiting that trade and getting, you know, finding a new trade. Yeah. I, if I understood what you said earlier, I think I, I would have usually, I haven't sold an option in in over a year, at least probably two years, but I really liked something that had high implied volatility. I would, I would get that position closed because I'm not, I'm not going to make too much more right, but I'm risking that I get some stupid, you know, some insane spike where all of a sudden it's, it's gone from the twenty cents that it was worn down to, and now all of a sudden it's a dollar, you know, randomly on tomorrow's open, right? And um, unless it was really low implied volatility, or volatility had at least sunk down in the prior thirty days, so it's looking better and better for me. Um, I think I was usually just wrapping those up just to take ensure I locked in the gains and move on to the next big theta play. But um, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, and let's be clear, like, you know, these, these, uh, cash covered puts I'm selling on, uh, Tesla and, uh, spy, like, you know, I, I kind of choose a strike that I wouldn't mind owning that stock, uh, you know, at, and then, um, you know, they're very different than other plays. Uh, typically like a lot of times I'll do, uh, you know, either, a uh, put spread or a call spread and, uh, you know, just sit on that thing until I eventually, you know, if I have to roll it out a million times, I will, it's not fun, but uh, I'll just kind of sit on that thing until, uh, you know, I can, I either like hit my 50% profit target. Um, I can't roll it out for a profit anymore. At that point, I just kind of close out. 
But, uh, you know, typically I define my risk with about no more than like, you know, five or six percent of my overall portfolio value for each one. Um, and then my brokerage is pretty cool. You know, they, they give you a beta weighted uh, average to the spy so you can see your overall portfolio portfolio delta uh, beta weighted to spy. So, you know, if you're getting too bearish or bullish, uh, you can kind of, uh, you know, enter or exit uh, certain, you know, certain uh, strategies to, to kind of balance that out. I try and keep it as close to neutral as I can. Um, is that is that uh, Tastyworks? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you mind breaking down uh, beta? Yeah. So uh, beta is the uh, basically the how correlated that particular stock or strategy is with the S and P five hundred. So uh, basically, a beta of one means you know for every one dollar uptick in S and P five hundred, that play option strategy that you have on the table should increase in value by a dollar. Um, and conversely, you know, you could go, you could get a super negative, uh, you know, if you're getting into the VIX and stuff uh, or uh, you VIX, you could get a super like negative uh, overall portfolio Delta. And obviously, you know, each trade has its own beta weighted Delta to the, uh, to the S and P 500. Um, and then, depending on the size of risk of that trade and its correlation with your other trades, um, the brokerage will kick you out an overall portfolio Delta, which is really cool because, uh, you know, it kind of, um, and I'm not sure if other brokerages do this or not, but it kind of lets you see how, you know, how overall bullish or bearish you're getting so that, um, you know, and, and you may not even realize it, obviously, you know, the market's moving around and depending on, what, stri- what option strategy are you using? You know, one could get really bullish or really bearish as that uh, as that uh, underlying price moves around and moves, you know, moves against you or moves for you. Um, so it's just kind of a constant exercise of managing those, uh, you know, managing those overall, you know, individual strategies to uh, try and manage that overall uh, portfolio beta weighted delta to the S&P 500. Let's keep talking options today. I got a little story for you. I don't think I've ever talked to you about this. Back in 2020, what was it? May when we got the big drop. Is that right? Yeah, May. Uh, yeah. No, I, no. I, I think it was April. I think it was earlier than that. I want to say April? It was like March or April. Yeah. I'm about to look it up just for consistency. But point being, I really, I really did not act fast on that. I was doing all this real estate junk. Yeah, you're right. The plummet was in March. I was doing all this real estate junk, and I um, I really felt like I turned on the news like 10 days too late, right? Things were already just getting beat up. You had the scary cells going on. And yeah. I, at this point, I knew, right? If you don't get into something in the first minute, let, the, let alone the first trading day or two, IVs already racked up. The options become much more expensive, and unless that underlying stock is going to trade uh, much more quickly than it had been, and you're going to see start seeing much larger moves day to day. The options just become too expensive unless your strategy is to reap theta, like you were just talking about earlier, right? Yep. And real quick, would you uh, go into theta for the uh, unacquainted? Yeah. So when you, this is fun, man. I didn't realize we we're going to start talking about all this today, but this is a good one. Yeah. When you um, buy a stock option, 
the price of the option is dictated by really two underlying factors. And one is um, intrinsic, uh, intrinsic value and the extrinsic value of the option. Because there is a strike price that an option must cross, the underlying stock must cross a strike price for the option to actually be used. The option is technically worthless until it can actually be used, hence as I actually cross that strike price. So point being, all of the value of an option is basically uh, extrinsic until you've crossed the strike price. It's completely fake. It's just whatever traders will pay for it. And what that value is, is really being dictated with how close you are to the strike price or how far away you are and how much time there is until expiration because options don't last forever. They will effectively die. The contract will be no good at a certain point in the future. Whether it's 30 days out, three years out, you can decide that as a trader. And the other aspect as well to throw in there is it's time to expiration uh, as well as the actual strike price and how far you are from it and then volatility of the stock. And the volatil volatility of the stock is algorithmic algorithmically measured and for a lot of people, they're not really paying attention to it. They're just aware that it's either become larger or smaller. They're not really nat sassing how it's affecting the price. But effectively, if you have a stock that is most likely going to move quickly and change price quickly, there's more volatility. And if there's more volatility, you're more likely to be able to exceed and cross the strike price or drop and, and you know uh, move very far away from it. If there's less volatility, it is not likely that your uh, underlying stock is going to move quickly. So something with a lot of volatility these days is gonna be Tesla. Something with not a lot of volatility is going to, uh, I'll probably choose something incorrect, but you might look at Home Depot or some kind of blue chip stock versus a small tech stock or what have you. So point being, those three factors, uh, time to expiration, strike price, and volatility are really creating the value of your option when you purchase it. Uh, your original question was theta, right? So theta is actually the decay in the value of the stock option due to extrinsic value becoming a smaller and smaller variable. So extrinsic value, like I was saying, is just a premium. It's just a, uh, an amount that traders are paying to get into the option, even if the option is theoretically worthless because it hasn't crossed the strike price. And if it has crossed the strike price, traders are still paying a premium. So for instance, if you had a strike price of $100 on, a, on an option and the stock itself was worth $101, then the intrinsic value of the option is $1, $1 per every share. The extrinsic value might be 50 cents or it might be $5. It's gonna be 50 cents if you're very close to expiration and it's not a very volatile stock. And it'll be maybe $5 if you're far out from expiration and there's a lot of time for that stock to move, or if you're far out or close to expiration and there's a lot of volatility in the stock. In a perfect world, the stock options value is netting out to a point where as you come nearer, uh, become closer and closer to the expiration date, the extrinsic and intrinsic value add up to the final price of the underlying stock. So point being, <laughs> those are some of the rough variables that are being considered when looking at the pricing of a stock option. And because the premium or the extrinsic value 
is based on those variables and it comes down to a measured and emotional play of what the traders are willing to pay to get into the position. As you get closer and closer to the expiration date, the volatile, or excuse me, the extrinsic value is naturally decaying because you have one less day for all of those things to take effect and change the value of the option. So you are always marching closer and closer to an expiration date, which means that value, that time value, is shrinking consistently and always bringing down the extrinsic value of the option. Thus, options are constantly decaying uh, towards zero, theoretically. So yeah, so just, just real-world example. Uh, yeah, today I sold the, uh, the uh, 345 put at a strike of $400 on Tesla uh, with 29 days till expiration. Now, all, obviously, there's a lot of factors, right? But um, the historical price movement, factored in is showing that um, it's going to be plucked you know it's currently at 673 um the historical price movement you know is reflecting that hey you know the expected move within the next 29 days is 114 dollars and um you know that put i sold was valued at 345 so i collected 345 dollars worth of premium and if all things, you know, in a vacuum, I, that option value will decrease by $30 each day if it stays at, you know, all, all other factors, um, you know, stay the same. Right, right. So at you as the issuer or the writer of the option are creating an option that didn't exist. It wasn't in the market, but you're selecting all those variables and saying, hey, this is the market price for this option. Someone can buy it from me if they want. And the theta is working in your favor because the option is becoming less and less valuable. Correct? Yep. And for the buyer, it's working against them because their option that they've just purchased is becoming less and less valuable. At the end of the day, uh, the purchaser has you know, basically the ability to make uh, theoretically exponential amounts of gains and that's why they're willing to take the risk of buying that option. And you, on the other hand, know that you can only gain so much. Your gains are limited to the actual cost of the option, what you sold it for. However, you have a completely different risk profile. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us. Yeah. <laughs> hey, by the way, guys, um, you all received notifications that we're recording today. I'm a little disappointed you didn't show up. Yeah. Hey, yeah. All nine of you guys, you have, you know, you're in the doghouse right now. I, I hope that, uh, you know, you, you, you listen to this and, you know, take a long, hard look at yourself in the mirror. All right. <laughs> Wasting your own time. Yeah. You could have <laughs> learned a lot today. Okay. We just broke down how to make or lose a whole, a whole hell of a lot of money. Uh, and you weren't here for it. Yeah, shame on you all. So you went sh you went short on the Tesla, and now you're doubling down, right? You extended that option out, and you're saying, I think Tesla's going to keep keep tumbling. Why, man? I'm looking at this chart. What's, it, what's your feeling? What's your vibe for the rest of 2022? Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think the market's... I think the market's going to continue to downtrend, but I don't think Tesla in particular is going to hit my strike of 400 in the next 29 well, 28 days now because this trading day is gone. Um, 
But that being said, uh, we have other people who are, uh, who are much more sophisticated than me saying the exact opposite. Um, we're not the exact opposite, but saying that, uh, you know, it's going to be all hellfire and brimstone here within the next, uh, you know, six months to a year. One of them is Michael Burry. Um, you want to get into his whiplash call and, uh, his projections for the future here? Yeah, man. Um, so he keeps talking about this whiplash effect and effectively the amount of inflation that we're seeing has caused the feds to raise rates. We all already know this, but we kind of have this deflationary effect that could, that could pop up, which is, is going to happen because consumers have, uh, have really stopped purchasing. And, uh, if that happens to be the case that, you know, the fed raising rates really affects, um, consumers purchasing or the CPI index, the fed will just reverse its course and end up, uh, and end up lowering rates once again, which is kind of just like the most asinine thing that you could really come up with. It's like trying to manipulate the market and ending up right back where you were. Uh, it's almost as if we shouldn't have manipulated this, the, you know, the market in the first place and we wouldn't be in this fricking position. He said in a tweet Monday, uh, you know, suggested that, uh, you know, the Fed, the Federal Reserve may have to pause or even reverse its uh, campaign of interest rate hikes. Uh, and, you know, the bullwhip effect he was talking about is the defl- deflationary effect of retailers holding too much inventory. And basically, you know, big box retailers, we've all seen, uh, you know, Best Buy recently uh, got taken out behind the uh, Woodshed after their after they missed earnings, Bath and Beyond was down like twenty four percent yesterday. A lot of these big box retailers have so much inventory. The cost of holding that inventory and you know the uh, the the bottlenecks, you know the uh, you know by by turning the economy on and off, the bottlenecks of that that have been created are super inefficient. But they're not even going to take returns. Uh, they're just going to let you keep things you've bought if you don't want it anymore. So good time to maybe uh, go out and buy a bunch of shit from Bed Bath & Beyond. (laughs) Load up on your soaps. Yeah, dude. Get some of those, uh, you know, those little moss-covered balls that sit in a big bowl in the middle of your dining room table that kids throw around when they come over, you know? Do you have, like, a points card to Bed Bath & Beyond? I have no idea what you're talking about right now. What is is this? I've got yeah, enough yeah. potpourri for the next 10 years. We've got soap for the next two decades. But uh, in an in in a effort to uh, cut costs, Bed Bath & Beyond has started turning their air conditioning off at their uh, at their retail stores. It's wild. I'm, I pay attention to John Hancock's uh, weekly market recap. They have a very basic recap that they publish online. You don't need to be a part of them. You just need to find the right website. It's like jhinvestments.com weekly recap. And they just break down how, what yields are doing, commodities, the market, Bitcoin, home prices. And, um, you know, they've got uh, in the week of you know, June 24th, they talked about mortgage rates jumping up. And mortgage rates are now at an average of 5.8% for a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. A year ago, the average was 3%. And uh, the last time the average was at 5.8 was back in 2008. On top of this, when I bought my first personal property um, about five, six years ago, 
my rate was 4%. So I've never experienced above, above 4%, right? I've never gone into the five, sixes or sevens. And, um, that's, that's wild. That takes someone from being able to afford like a $400,000 house to only being able to afford three twenty-five, And that's going to have a, a big impact on not just the real estate market, but you know, all of these consumer markets as well, as people all of a sudden have larger and larger expenses on their cash flow, their monthly cash flow, and they need to make considerations on whether or not they need the the moss balls in the middle of their coffee table, right? All of a sudden you don't. And all of a sudden Bed Bath & Beyond has to turn the AC off. And uh, and then, you know, retail in general, people just, the foot traffic stops going to the, to the malls. And Travis and I were talking, Buddha and I were talking before the pod um, about some some guys saying that Q2 of 2023 is starting to look like their target for, for when things are really going to fall off a cliff. And I'm wondering if CPI and what consumers are purchasing, if they expect that to fall off for the rest of this year, and that starts to create an impact on the real estate markets. And I'm starting to wonder if that's the real big problem that they're eyeballing, and that's the kind of time frame that this would take. Because when the real estate markets start falling... That means all the individuals, all the consumers who have been using equity, pulling HELOCs, uh, you know, pulling uh, home equity loans, they lose that access. And not only that, but what they thought was theoretically their wealth isn't there anymore, and now their plans change. And that in, in impacts them as well as a consumer. And I'm wondering if that's really what these guys are targeting with this whole Q2 uh focus that I keep seeing. There's a few different people out there that in the last week have just kept mentioning Q2 of 2023 and it's starting to make the hair go up on the back of my neck because none of them are talking about what metrics they're observing and looking at, but they all keep talking about the same time frame. So I need to figure that out. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's making me nervous too. I got to crack open a uh, Coors Banquet beer here, dude. Yellow Jacket. I've been watching way too much uh, Yellowstone recently, so my fridge is now filled with Coors Banquet beers, dude. <laughs> they push them so hard on that show, man. I can't, oh uh, you know, but yeah, it's uh, scary times ahead for and uncertain times ahead for sure. You know, we both, you know, have a decent amount of, you know, real estate that uh, we're into. And uh, you more more so than me. I'm sitting on my, my place that I'm living in now. It's not a 2.25 30-year fixed, but... Um, Same here, brother. 2.25. Doesn't yeah. that feel amazing to just say? Yeah, I it mean, feels for, amazing. For people who don't understand the impact of that, every percent of inflation above 2.25% is free money in your pocket. I mean, not only... that. We, we should break down the impact of low interest rates on a, on a long pod. We've already been talking for 40 minutes or something. But point being, with that low of an interest rate, not only are you reaping the delta between what the cost of inflation is and the cost of your borrowed money is, that's, that's huge for the individual consumer. But also with your investment, uh, excuse me, your debt cost being that low, I'm already, Buddha, half my payment is already equity. It's like 51, uh, excuse me, 49% of my payment is already equity. I'm 50-50. So when, yeah, I'm, when I'm putting, you know, thousands of dollars into the into uh, paying down my house every month, 
half of it is going back to me when I sell. So here's the deal. At a 5%, at 4.9% on a 30-year fixed mortgage, the amount of interest you will pay will equal the price of the, the, the real estate property that you bought. So it will equal the price of your home. When you go down to 2.4, let's make it 2.5%. So when you go from 5 to 2.5, half of the purchase price of your home is what you will pay in interest across the life of, of a 30-year loan. So we're at 2.25, which is even better. We're going to end up paying like 45% roughly of the, the cost of our properties in interest, which across 30 years, our properties will be three, four times their current value, right? So that's just insanity. Like no one else has ever had an opportunity to lock in interest like, like we have. And um, for those who were able to pounce on that, pat, you know, pat yourself on the back, you got extremely lucky. I think 30 years, is real estate going to be worth more or less? I think it's going to be worth a whole hell of a lot more. And um, as long as you haven't overextended yourself and you know, you can meet the cost of your mortgage with the rent, with the rent you, you bring, you bring in, you know, it's, it, it's looking up for you. Do yourself a favor, everybody at home that's listening to this, pull out your phone, call your grandma, grandma, when's the last time rent went down? It's never gone down, not over any meaningful span of time. Then ask her when the last time she saw housing prices go down was, guess what? It's never gone down over a meaningful span of time. Everybody who's flipping, everyone who's getting in and out of the house within about a two-year period, yeah, there's always a risk to that. But that's on a very short time horizon for a, a, a large, large market. You're holding for 10 to 50 years, let alone indefinitely. It's never going down. We're going to have to drop nuclear bombs on, you know, on Pearl Harbor for real estate to be damaged ever again, right? Like, it's going to require... Uh, what is it? What is it? The San Andreas fault line. We're going to need that to split. We're going to need Miami to go underwater. We're going to need Manhattan to sink. Like that's what it's going to take to kill real estate markets. Yeah. And then, you know, if you're lucky there, your, your place in the inland empire Riverside's now oceanfront property. Hell yeah. With the, that's, with the, with the big one kit in California, you know, you never know. That's why I'm strategically about uh, 80 feet above sea level here in my home. 80 feet above sea level, about three miles back from the coast. I'm yeah. good, baby. I'm As Tell far me, as I'm concerned, be. at the end of 30 years, I'm going to have my house paid off. It's going to be worth four times as much, and it'll be beachfront property at that point. Yeah, you might be on the – you might Ooh. be on the, like the an island cliff at that point, dude. What a view. What a view, you know? <laughs> so let's circle back to something real quick because people should know this. Uh, we'll circle back and then we'll wrap this up. We were talking about that downfall in March of 2020, right? I didn't get to my point about VIX yet. This is why knowledge and understanding how to do things, how do you make a dollar? How, when you see something changing, when you, when you see something happening, you see you know, a country breaking away from, uh, from using the euro. Maybe you see uh, some legislation coming up that's going to affect trade. Maybe you see that there was too much darn sunshine in the Midwest and all the corn dried up, whatever. When you see these things happen, you need to understand how to trade them so that you can make money. I mean, at the end of the day, understanding how to take advantage, financial advantage 
of anomalies, and not only anomalies, but things that you know or at least believe will happen, is, is huge. And if you don't understand how to do that, you just don't have a chance of being able to execute, right? So get this. <sighs> used to play with options a lot. Used to play with stocks a lot. Learned a lot of things, did a lot of things. March of 2020, I was heads down paying attention to real estate. Wasn't paying attention to the markets at all. Obviously, COVID creeps up on us, starts tanking the market. I'd say there was pretty much, what, it comes out to be a three or five week period of downturn at most. And yep. frankly, once you get past those first couple of days and everyone on the market, everyone in the market is on board with the fact that this thing's tanking, uh, your implied volatility of those options shoot up because everyone starts assuming, all the traders start assuming we're going to get a bunch of movement. And now they're just too expensive to play with. And now it turns into a theta game where there's so much theta, there's so much implied volatility that they're extremely expensive to buy. And now you need to, as a trader, consider whether or not you want to write them and sell them and risk uh, recouping theta if the market levels out or starts going back up. Right. And that's, you know, that's where, that's where you log on to uh, Wall Street bets on old Reddit after some sort of big black swan or, you know, event like that. And, you know, it's basically the, all the pigs being led to the slaughter, right? Everyone on Wall Street bets knows nothing other than how to buy, how to buy options. And, uh, and by that point, the, the, the goose is cooked, you know, right. um, and that's where you get all that crazy loss porn piling in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. So get this though. There is an index called the VIX, V-I-X. It measures volatility. And it does this by tracking uh, multiple different underlying options and assessing what their value is. And by assessing their value, it comes up with uh, a number for what the V-I-X is worth. It's simply an index to track to track values. So the VIX skyrockets because volatility skyrocketed in March. And as VIX skyrockets, it shoots from like $20, maybe $15 up to 65 bucks. And in this, in that span of time, that's like a two or three week span of time. So people made crazy bank by buying into VIX or buying options on it. The, the VIX peak of course correlates with the market bottom. Because when the market hits its bottom and starts flattening out or coming back up, volatility then flattens out and starts to come back up. And oh, by the way, because VIX is a function of options, it's always decaying. So it's always constantly headed towards zero, how it's, const how it's set up right now. You have the benefit of theta constantly killing VIX. There are a few different um, holdings that you can... <laughs> There are a few different holdings that you can use to trade VIX. VXX, UVXY, those are the two that I really like. Uh, they're very liquid and more popular with traders. Within about a week of what would end up becoming the market bottom, I started shorting VXX, and VXX just started plummeting. Made a bunch of money, but point being, I missed the initial movement. Right? I missed out on, on a huge plummet. I missed out on buying into a bunch of things that were stable and steady and became extremely, extremely valuable, uh, in particular um, option puts, because of all this implied volatility. So I missed out on that. But because I understood the tools and the other things that I could trade, I was able to catch the bounce back in a unique way that I knew I was buying into something 
that was decaying and assisting me in being profitable. The point being, you got to study and understand all these tools because even if you miss the moment, even if you miss what you think is the trade, there can always be a secondary trade. There's always a ripple effect. Shorting the market was the trade. Shorting tech stocks was the trade. I missed that, found something to catch the bounce back, and it really didn't even matter if the market stabilized or if it just slowed down the pace of, of dying I knew that being in VIX would still be a benefit to me. So study, learn different ways to trade, and it doesn't matter if you're the smartest, but you need to be the most knowledgeable of how to use these different tools if you ever want to uh, scalp a few dollars. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I want to pat myself on the back here, a little trade I did uh, at the start of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, disclaimer... I have gotten my butt kicked more times than I could count, but this is the one time where, uh, you know, I, I, I felt like, you know, I, I really did this one, right. Uh, like you, right. Uh, all I re- read in the news is like, Hey, Putin's, you know, putting, you know, loading up troops near the Russia, Ukraine border. He's going to invade, like what's going on here. <clears throat> um, and so I started loading up on, uh, Vic's calls. He invaded unfortunate, deal i would have rather him not invaded but um you know vix sprang up and um and you know within a couple days i had uh you know increased or my you know my positions increased in value by a few hundred percent and i exited now i look back though and i think man uh there's a russian uh etf uh called rsx that i want to say went from like 60 dollars to basically worthless uh, due to the, uh, you know, due to the, uh, all the, uh, uh, sanctions, uh, the West put on Russia, you know, then you had, uh, you know, second, second, third order effects in wheat. Um, and really had I sat back and like thought this, you know, whole scenario through or had, you know, someone to talk, talk through it with, you know, I really could have parlayed that one trade into, uh, into a few different sectors and really crushed it. And, uh, you know, maybe even, you know, went a lot bigger than I did, but, uh, you know, in the meantime, I'll, I'll pat myself on the back and take you my- bought calls. You bought decaying calls. Yeah. On VIX. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But Hey, no, think about it this way, man. That, that's the fun part. If you see a trade that's coming up like you did, it's not necessarily that you bought the wrong thing. It's that there's multiple ways to play it. Right. And that's the other thing to consider. You obviously need a good sack full of dollars to do these things, but you do want to think of different plays. You do want to think of different ways to do this because the Russian market probably moved a lot differently and perhaps it could have moved on day one and it might have taken the United States two or three weeks to also move. And depending on you know, if there's any expiration, especially with options, depending on when your expiration is, the timing might not work out. Like the market's I've done multiple things where I was ahead of the market and I spent a week or two before the market started catching up and moving as well. And sometimes I was in panic mode, wondering whether or not I should be selling. Now, frankly, you don't ever want to get into any kind of position that is going to make you enter panic mode, as I've so described it. But, uh, you know, it, it can happen. And there's always a way to hedge that so you don't have a panic mode. Now that I've become a smarter trader... 
Uh, I like to do smarter things like that, but yeah, I like panic modes every once in a while. Keeps keeps you on your toes. <laughs> keeps keeps you wondering whether or not you really know your stuff. Yeah, simpletons like me, I'll uh, you know, I'll just uh, I'll just stay in stay in the panic zone. Oh man, at some point I got just too sick of losing money. Like <laughs> the the good days, you know, what gets gross is when you have really good days, like serious serious bangers. You're like, wow, that was. Uh, life-changing like I don't even know I, I don't think my work uh, can pay me this amount of money in a year and I did it in like three hours right <laughs> yeah it must be must be nice <laughs> when you have a banger like that and then you just spend the next month just bleeding and you're like oh <laughs> what what is this this you're is like, not get supposed all, to work get all high and mighty on your own ability when it really you know maybe uh there's a little bit of luck involved. You yeah. haven't even seen the tax bill yet. That's the real kick in the uh, If you ever make a ton of money in the market, yeah, just keep that uh, tax bill in the back of your mind there. Yeah, because there's nothing worse than winning it, losing it, and then not having the money to pay the taxes. That's <laughs> <laughs> salt in the wound. Yeah. yeah. Buddha, this was a good one. You got anything else? No. It's all for me. All right, buddy. That was See fun. you, man. That was fun. Yeah, we haven't talked yeah. options in a long time. No, that's cool. Peace. Tell you something all that